to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for March 12, 2020. Don't you find all of the news about the coronavirus, canceled events, and advice to stay inside away from crowds just too depressing? It's time to make something easy and quick for dinner that's filling a little different and yet easy and full of good things to eat. Here's a recipe from my collection that might help with dinner tonight. Chicken and biscuits. This easy recipe uses a lot of convenience foods so you don't have to do a lot of chopping and cutting in the kitchen. It uses one can of Campbell's cream of celery soup and one can of Campbell's cream of tomato soup, one cup of milk, one fourth teaspoon of dried thyme leaves crushed, one fourth teaspoon of pepper, four cups of cooked cut up vegetables, and two cups of cooked cubed chicken, turkey, or ham, and one package of tin biscuits, uh, use buttermilk biscuits. Use a combination of broccoli, cauliflower, and sliced carrots, or broccoli, cauliflower, and peas, or any other combination that you like. First, in a three-quart shallow baking dish, mix the soups, milk, thyme, pepper, vegetables, and chicken. Then, bake in a 400-degree oven for 15 minutes or until hot. Then stir, arrange the biscuits on top of the chicken mixture, and bake for 15 minutes more or until biscuits are golden. Makes five servings. Tip. To microwave the vegetables, in a two-quart shallow microwave-safe baking dish, arrange the vegetables and one-quarter cup water. Cover. Microwave on high for 10 minutes. It's 2020 and time for the U.S. Census to begin. Listen on page 2 as Kim Charlson, immediate past president of the American Council of the Blind and director of the Perkins Talking Book Library, explains the census, why it is so important for people who are blind, and the various ways every one of us can participate in the census. There have been many changes in ACB radio over the past several months. Two individuals have joined the ACB staff to handle ACB radio and other duties. Debbie Hazelton of Alabama is the new ACB Radio Managing Program Director, and Jason Castingway of Connecticut is the new ACB Radio Managing Technical Director. We hope all of our Sound Prince listeners will check out page 3 as we introduce Jason Castingway to you this week. And on page 4 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. On the phone with me is Kim Charlson. She's the director of the Perkins Talking Book Library at the Perkins School for the Blind, and she's also the immediate past president of the American Council of the Blind. Kim is going to be chatting with us today about the U.S. Census, which is just getting underway and which is taking bean counting to the highest possible point because they're going to be counting, hopefully, everybody in the United States. It happens every 10 years. So, Kim, welcome to Sound Prince, and I'm going to just ask you to tell us uh, about the census, how important it is, the information that you have about how we as blind people can make sure we are counted, and why it's important that we make sure we're counted. 
Well, thank you, Carla, for giving me the opportunity to talk about it. Um, the the theme that that I'm working with, um, I received a grant from the Massachusetts Secretary of State's office to conduct um, outreach specifically to the blind and visually impaired community because these target grants are for hard-to-count communities, and there's a lot of hard-to-count communities um, which the Bureau of the Census is concerned about. Um, blind and visually impaired, uh, the bigger category of people with disabilities are traditionally undercounted. Um, minority groups are traditionally undercounted. Children actually are traditionally undercounted, um, especially children under the age of five. Now, I don't know how come people forget to count their children when they do this. <laughs> That's not a, well, an answer I have today, but they are traditionally undercounted. So, And college students. Now, now, that one I could understand because people could be confused about, you know, do you count them if they are living in a dorm in in Frankfurt when um, you live in Louisville, you know, yes. who, do you count them or don't you count them? Mm -hmm. So, so we'll talk about that in, in a minute, but so my, my grant proposal and, and sort of the theme for, for the whole um, outreach campaign is everyone deserves to be counted. So that's the, the theme that, that I'm working with on, on our census outreach. And, you alluded to the fact that the census takes place every 10 years, which it does, and the first census w took place in 1790, um, and it's actually mandated in the U.S. Constitution. So they started counting um, way early um, to keep track of you know, all the people that were founding our country clear back in 1790. So the the process is used for a lot of different reasons, and it's the responsibility of the um, U.S. Bureau of the Census to conduct um, our biennial census. And so that is, you know, they do other things as well when there's not census going on. They do um, the community index surveys. They do a lot of specialized surveys throughout the, the years. But... Their primary um, data analysis is the census because that is also used by by Congress for redistricting issues when when they're determining you know um, congressional districts, the congressional count, how many Congress people your state is going to have, and they also use it for the proportional formula that they create they being, being the decision makers in Washington, D.C., for um, federal funding formulas. So that one is particularly important because for every person that is not counted, your state, it doesn't matter what state you're in, your state will lose on average $2,300 per person that is not counted. Oh, my. So if you can imagine how mm. many people, you know, might not get counted, right. that impacts all the appropriations for valuable federal funding programs to communities, um, you know, mass transit, um, Medicare and Medicaid, all kinds of critical 
infrastructure services, essential services that many people with disabilities rely on. So, so the census really has a very, very significant impact on a lot of aspects of our lives. And we think that it just comes around every 10 years, but then we have to live with the consequences of the findings of the census for a long time, another nine years before the next census comes around. The census process um, and the timing of your interview and your um, call to have me speak was perfect because um, the 2020 census officially begins um, March 12th. And so that is the official first day that um, you can respond to the census. Um, Every household is supposed to be receiving a letter that will tell them about the census, and it will include um, what they're calling a census ID, which is an identification number Mm -hmm. um, for each household. So you answer the census by household. You do not answer it by individual. Okay. So only one person in your household is, you know, going to be the person that answers the census. Um, you, if you have three people in your household, you don't do it three times. You do it one time. And it's that person's responsibility to indicate that there are two other people that live in that household with the one who's answering the census so that everybody gets counted. So that, that person does um, the actual responding to the census. So that is the area where traditionally blind people have, have fallen out of the system because normally the, the census will send out a print letter or a print postcard. Mm-hmm. So everything initially re- regarding the census has come out in print. It has not been accessible, and so that kind of begins the challenge. And, and the same thing is going to happen this year. That first touch point of the census is going to be a print letter that you're going to receive in your mailbox. But the good news after that is that there are several different ways that are going to be accessible that you can respond to the census. So one of those ways certainly is via an online, you know, a website. There is an accessible website that is um, available for answering all the census questions that you can do. And if you choose to do the website, you probably, I'm I'm 99% sure you need that census identification number because that's how you're going to get into the system and be able to get access to the questions. Okay. So, so that's, that's one way. Um, and I will, um, my, my website and the phone number to call are in a different file. So we'll talk, I'll give those at the end before we wrap up, and we'll repeat those a couple times to make sure at the end that everybody can get the phone number and the website for um, logging in to if they want to do the census form online or they want to call. So online website, that's one way. Um, Toll-free number is a second way, and there is going to be a phone number that you can call, 
and it will be answered by a human person <laughs> that will not an automated voice but a person will answer and they will help you respond they can um, go through the the questions with you and if you don't have your census identification number then you provide them with your address and they can look your address up and begin the census process that way and that's how you can do the census over the phone. Mm -hmm. So that's probably going to be the easiest way for most people who are blind or visually impaired to take the census over the phone. Right. Now if you don't take it online or over the phone, then you're going to get another letter in the mail that has a paper survey and the expectation is that you will answer that paper paper survey. And if you don't answer that paper survey, then the next step you can probably <laughs> guess is that someone from the Census Bureau, an actual person, is going to reach out to you and come to your home um, and say, you know, we'll help you in your home to fill out the form. <laughs> now, most people probably don't want somebody to come into their home to fill out a form. So we're hopeful that you will opt to do one of the other choices before you have a census worker come into your home and fill out the form. But if it does get down to the level where a census worker is going to come into your home, you know, there's no penalty, there's no fine, you're not going to get a little demerit on your report card as being a bad person. It just circumstances are what they are. You know, maybe you were in the hospital for a few weeks and just got out, and then suddenly the census wants to come and answer, you know, give you the survey. So hopefully this can all happen for you by mid-May because the census takers um, will be coming to the households in May, um, and then they kind of try to wrap up in June, and the the um, the Census Bureau has roughly the rest of the year to compile all the data that they've gathered to prepare the report to Congress that will um, that is due at the end of December. So that's the the final report on the census that that the government will start using to. Um, to you know, do all those things that I mentioned before about you know, reallocating federal funds and and reallocation of uh, of districts and all those different things that will start to happen next year. So there's just so many things that the census is used for, and it really is critically important that people with disabilities take the time and make it, you know, a real commitment to responding to the census because we want our community to be counted and we don't want it to be an underrepresented um, population. We want them to be represented. So um, that's, that's kind of what I've been working at is just making sure that we're going to be able to, to get everybody counted and that, um, you know, we get our community represented in, mm -hmm. in the census. Now, there are accessible format materials available that will tell you about the census and the types of questions that um, are going to be part of that. 
Um, so if anybody's interested in getting um, a Braille or large print copy of um, census materials, I'm going to provide you with my contact information because you can get those from me, and I'd be just as happy to fill those requests from anybody around the country um, if you'd like. So you can contact me, which is Kim Charlson, C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N, and I'm at the Perkins Library. And the phone number here is 617-972-7240. My email is kim.charlson, so that's K-I-M dot C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N at perkins.org. And just you know, indicate your name, your address, and that you're interested in large print or Braille information about the census, and I'll be happy to send you um, materials. Now, let me provide you with the website where you can go um, after you get your letter from the Census Bureau in the mail, either sometime this week, maybe even tomorrow or the next day. Um, it should be any day or the, the, toward the end of March. Um, it could be within the next 10 days, um, but it will be between the 12th and the end of the month of March. You should get your letter so you can find out your census ID, and then you can go to this website, 2020census.gov. So that's 2020census.gov. 2020census.gov, and there'll be um, a very prominent um, information on that page that'll say something like, you know, take the census here, and then you click on that, and you'll be off and running. Okay. Now, if you want to call the phone number and take the census, they will start answering the phones to, to go over the census and take people um, for census calls to actually do the census with you beginning on the 12th of March. So anytime after the 12th of March, you can call this number, just 1-844-330-2020. Again, that's the English language number, 844-330-2020. They also have toll-free numbers um, in, I think, 18 other languages. So if you, you know, somebody spoke a different language, there actually is um, a phone line for most major languages that are spoken um, in the U.S. as well to have assistance. So that's the basics on the census. And remember, everyone deserves to be counted. So be sure to spread the word to your friends, your family. Make sure people do their census survey. Um, it's really important to do it. We want our community to be represented. So as many blind people as we can get to take it, it will benefit all of us. So Kim, go out there and take the census. Yeah, Kim, um, in the past, there has been um, a short census for ever so many houses and then and then uh, oh I don't know like it seems like I remember mm -hmm. one year it was 
one household out of every four got a long form. It, do you know if that's still the, the what's happening this time, or does everybody have the same form? Most, I think what I remember was everybody has um, the basic form, mm -hmm. and then they will be sending a longer form to a select number of people around the United States. Okay. So the select people around the United States get to do the long form, mm -hmm. but everybody is supposed to do the basic census. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, if you get chosen for the long form, then you were lucky and you get to do extra census <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so, but well, that does come later in the process. Well, you know, the census really is important. Not not only for the kinds of things that you're talking about, you know, that that count can impact all kinds of things like um, educate, funding for education and uh, funding for, as you said, the Medicaid, Medicare. Um, there's all kinds of things that are based mm -hmm. on the number of people and uh, like how many how many kids would be identified in an area with special, that mm -hmm. needs special ed or how many people need um, could could need paratransit services. I mean, there's there's so much of that, and many Absolutely. many things. I mean, our libraries could be mm -hmm. impacted by that. I mean, you, you just can't think of an area or, or a part of society that would not be impacted by those kinds of right. of of right. numbers for today. But in addition to that, the the old censuses are really important too for those of us that love to do family history right. and genealogy. And um, I, I, I kind of messed around with that when I had time for a long time. And, um, you know, you get it, it, you see how important some of these questions are, too. Because if you go back and look at the old censuses back before 1850, they were pretty bare. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in 1790 and 1810 and 1820, they were just, at first they were just counting the number of people mm -hmm. in a house. And then they were counting, um, you know, how many adults there were and how many people between, let's say, 16 and 25 or between uh, or under 16 or whatever. And so, okay, so, you know, they had, you know, three people in the house between 16 and 25. Well, that's nice, but it really wasn't real useful information from the standpoint of genealogy goes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those censuses, <laughs> I think it's 1820 that tells you how many horses they owned or something Oh, my like gosh. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could be wrong on the year. I believe it was 1820, yeah. <laughs> though. And, um, I mean, some of that is really, it's kind of fun to look at. But, but the closer you get, the more you get up into, you know, closer into the, 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 the since the the latest census that you can really look at right now is 1940. Right. In 1950, you'll be showing up for public for public use in a couple of years. It's really supposed to be available this year, but it won't be. It'll be, you know, probably uh, 2021 or 2022. And um and that's it's pretty neat to be able to go back and and find people that you really know and and it shows where they lived and who the neighbors were and all that. But it's real important because a lot of us talk about, oh, the censuses are really cool and you can look back and see this. It is important for people to know that by law, those censuses cannot be released until 70 years after they've been taken. Right, right, exactly. I was going to mention that they're 
there are pretty strict um, requirements on the confidentiality of the data, and they do yes. hold on to the data, um, as you were saying, for a long time before they'll they'll release it, quote unquote, and make it public when it when it really is only historical at that point. So right. so there's no confidential information that's released from the 2020 census no. that's going to come out, you know, next year that somebody's going to look something up about you. That's right. all protected. Right. Um, and the Census Bureau does a tremendous job to, to make sure that that all of the census data is, you know, decrypted so that it, it's not mm -hmm. connected with you as an individual and it's all protected and carefully stored away so that when it does get released, you know, 75 years down the road mm -hmm. when we're, we're gone and somewhere else, you know, that the historic relevance of it is still there and can be shared. So and, that's, and that, that is, is a really important aspect of it. There was one census, the 1890 census, that was mostly burned, lost in a big fire in mm -hmm. the St. Louis area. And, of course, back in those days, it was all on paper, and it was all stored in one place. And there were very few parts of that census that survived. And that is a huge gap mm -hmm. in the in the history, family history world, um, between 1880 and 1900. Uh, you know, a lot happens in 20 years, and you don't realize yeah. that until you until you start trying to follow, you know, your cousin from, you know, when they were a, a child until they're an adult and, you know, maybe where they are living. Well, in that length of time, maybe they married and moved off to two or three states away or whatever, and, <laughs> and so you've lost them. But I, ha I had kind of a personal experience with the confidentiality of the census. Actually, my mother did. Um, she was from the mountains of eastern Kentucky, and the place where she was born, um, the, the place name has come and gone over the years several times. And so when she was ready to um, become eligible for her to draw Social Security on her own number, they needed to know, they needed to document if she was born in 1920 or 1921. Well, she always said that she was born in 1921. But um, it turned out, that, well, they weren't sure because on the school records, in Breathitt County, Kentucky, up in the mountains, she was listed as 1H. Um, uh, and the school records at the Kentucky School for the Blind, her parents put her down as a different age, mm -hmm. one-year difference. And I, I don't know if you remember Jim Shaw, uh, mm -hmm. but Jim yeah. Shaw worked at Social Security at the time, and he was trying to get this all signed up for her. And... And he says, well, we need to know if you were born in 1921 or 1920. And she said, well, what does it matter? And he said, because it's a different amount of money. There's a line. There's a difference right there. And that one year makes a huge, makes mm -hmm. a big difference. And she said, well, pick the one that's going to give me the most money. <laughs> and well, no, he said, I can't, I can't do that, he said. So... Uh, finally, I mean, they went to all kinds of records that were available, and finally, they had to send her um, something to sign 
And, I mean, it was a big deal where they had to go to the 1930 census to get that information so that she could then draw her Social Security. And they could not begin that process, that claim, until that birth date was substantiated. Wow. And it was it was made doubly difficult. You'd think, well, why didn't they just go to the vital statistics in Kentucky? They did. But she was born January 1st. Oh my goodness. Of 1921. And in the mm-hmm. mountains, if there was a big snow, and of course there were no hospitals, so she was born at home. And by spring, when the thaw came, the midwife didn't always get to Frankfurt to register the births. Mm-hmm. And that she was one of those people. Right. That the birth oh was God. never form- registered um, by the midwife. So. You know, the census is very important, and I realize that people are saying, oh, well, that would never, you know, that that kind of thing would never happen. But you don't know what kind of things are going to be needed. Who would have dreamed? She thought, oh, well, this didn't matter. And she got a birth certificate after that um, because we went to uh, Toronto for the bowling tournament in the 70s. She got a birth certificate from Frankfurt, but... To get a birth certificate um, from the state of Kentucky, she just needed a couple of people that said, yes, they were there and they remember when this happened. But that wasn't good enough for the year for the Social Security payment. So, you know, you just don't, you think everything is fine, and then all of a sudden you realize why some of these things really are a big deal. Have you seen the questions on there? I have yeah. not. They're supposed to be made um, public um, tomorrow, mm-hmm. the, the 12th of March. Mm-hmm. So you can go to the website and you should be able to actually see what the questions are. But they've been very careful about not releasing them oh. prior to the uh, official launch date of the census um, survey. So mm-hmm. well, m- uh, March 12th will be the day when you can actually find out what the questions are. And, and the questions are not the same from year to year. No, they are not. And the wording of the questions is different, too. Mm -hmm. Um, On the 1880 census, uh, they wanted to know if people were blind or um, deaf or whatever, but the... um, but the question was something like, "Are you blind, deaf, or dumb?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and there was because that was the no, that was the vocabulary. That's used right. Then. No breakdown on that. That's right. Um, that's right. So, 1930, they wanted to know. They the there was a question on there if the household had a radio. Mm-hmm. And let's see, 1940, they also asked where the family was living uh, in 1935. So you could see... If there was a migration trend, right. like mm-hmm. country to the city. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, that, was, that was interesting. And so each census is, is really different. And I, I can't wait to see what the questions are this yeah. time. Well, well Kim, everyone deserves to be counted. So let's yes, make they that do. a true statement. So well, would you give you, that, Carla. Would you give that phone number one more time? Absolutely. The, um, the number is... Uh, the website is 2020census.gov, mm-hmm. and the phone number is 844-330-2020. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being with us on Soundprints, and I'm sure a lot of us are going to be requesting some of those Braille um, materials and large print materials that you have to distribute as well. Thank you. Page three. I'm speaking with a person that has never been on Soundprints before. His name is Jason Castingway, and for those of you who don't know Jason, he is the new ACB Radio Managing Technical Director, and that's a position that we really haven't had before. It's a new position. So um, Jason is from Connecticut, and we're going to meet Jason, have him tell us about um, his background, his interests, hobbies, and also introduce his new position in ACB to us. So welcome, Jason. Well, thank you, Carla. It's great to be here. I've really enjoyed being on the uh, uh, steering committee and before that the managing committee, uh, management committee for ACB Radio and getting to know Jason and some of the others that work on ACB Radio. It's just a real fun group of people and a lot of high energy. And so this is a really cool thing to get to, to do is to have the rest of you meet Jason, who brings so much energy and knowledge to ACB Radio. So Jason, you can begin where you would like to like to start, and uh, and just just tell and introduce yourself to all of us. Sure. Um, let me see. Where's the? I think a good place to start is Main Menu because uh, some of you may recognize my voice from the Main Menu program, which ACB Radio has had going now for 20 years. <laughs> I got started with Main Menu back in 2015 when Debbie Hazelton was assisting. Uh, with Larry, and she, as she called it, she gently drafted me into the role of being um, on a team of people to help uh, with main menu. That has been going very well, and we have made some exciting changes to main menu. But I suppose before I get into all that, I should tell you a little more about my background. I have been playing piano and singing since I was very young. So a lot of people know me for my music. When I was three years old, I was already playing melodies on a little toy organ. And when my mother discovered that, uh, off I went to piano lessons at the age of four. <laughs> and it was from there that all my music really took off. Um, I've always enjoyed playing new melodies and, and composing my own melodies as well as, you know, listening to the radio, learning popular music. It really ended up turning into quite a career for me. I now provide entertainment for all sorts of events. Um, I provide concerts. Um, I've done fundraising type of concerts. And it's really allowed me to get out and just meet a whole lot of people and provide them with uh, music. That's been a lot of my career, but I've always been a techno uh, a technology buff mm -hmm. so my computer exposure began at a very young age as well uh, so probably around the age of seven I was exposed to the Apple IIe that was the first <laughs> computer I ever really got to spend a, a lot of time with I had one uh, Jason 
<laughs> oh, see, you know, I I would love to um, kind of go down memory lane and get one just so I could really play with it again because I I just love I love that computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, it was it was pretty cool because. Uh, the computer before it, I don't think you could do um, lowercase letters on it and, and capital letters. And on the 2E, you could write both lowercase and capital letters. So that was, oh, okay. <laughs> that was pretty yeah, neat. That helps. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it does help. <laughs> I was going through school, getting to work on computers, and I was always a very quick study with when it came to buttons and learning how to operate uh, VCRs, computers, um, other little recording gadgets, and um, I loved my recorder when I was a kid. I carried it all over the place and recorded things and sped them up and slowed them down. <laughs> <laughs> I was just really into all that kind of stuff. So I guess it's no surprise that today I'm I'm still with it all and and learning and growing and um, still using my previous knowledge, but learning about the new ways we can do things. One of the pieces of my background that I think fits in very well with this ACB Radio Managing Technical Director position is that I learned about Linux, which is an operating system uh, derived from the Unix operating system. I learned about it in maybe the mid-90s. I found out that Linux could be installed on a regular PC. And I thought, wow, um, what an interesting approach. It's not DOS, it's not Windows, it's Linux. Mm -hmm. And the thing that really um, excited me at the time was that it was a command line driven thing like DOS at the time, but I could multitask with it and do several different things at once, which I couldn't figure out how to do with DOS very well. Mm -hmm. And from there, uh, I just poked around and learned a lot of different things about system maintenance and operating things beyond just having a home computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it kind of took you to the next level uh, in, as far as being able to make the computer do things and control things that you just couldn't do in the DOS system. Yes. Yeah, and of course, at that time, we were starting to transition into Windows as well. and we And it was so graphical, it wasn't really very uh, friendly. It was a new world. Yes. And different screen readers um, had varying, you know, very different ex- uh, levels of experience. Mm. Some of them were a little sluggish. Some of them did well, but maybe not in other areas that the other screen readers excelled in. It was just an interesting transition. Um, oh, yeah, it was a mess. Yes. Yeah. And I did get into that, too, but I wasn't, <laughs> at the time, I wasn't as excited about it. <laughs> right, right. So today, uh, with ACB Radio, what what do you, you seem to be the go-to guy when there's something that maybe is is going wrong, it's working right, but needs to be tweaked, um, uh, even on things like, uh, the uh, if we ask you mailing list questions. We ask you all kinds of things that really sometimes aren't related to ACB radio. So um, tell us about what what's your average day like to, uh, now with with ACB radio and and ACB. 
my average day is filled with a little bit of everything. Um, I will tend to emails, um, sometimes just people asking questions about such and such, or maybe a technical issue where, hey, I'm not receiving emails from this list or that list, and can you please help me with that? Or maybe somebody needs a phone number or um, there's a an affiliate who wants to do streaming and in that case, actually, um, I will get on with Debbie Hazelton, who's the managing technical director for ACB Radio, and we will both converse with the uh, person from the affiliate who wants to do streaming and just talk about details, how that works, answer any of their questions mm-hmm. about the details of streaming. And like last week, I was posting the Sagebrush archives from this year's Sagebrush event mm-hmm. uh, to the ACB events feed. And I was learning some things about that as I went along, too, because I thought it might be, oh, I just go here and I post this and it shows up there. Well, no, not exactly. I had to be a little more creative and say, oh, okay, this hasn't been done this way before. Let me create a new place where I can post the sagebrush events and then make sure that it show make sure that they show up in the ACB events feed so yeah. it's always um, you know there are things that I know and then there are things that I'm learning as I go <laughs> yes yes and that probably will be true forever so, yes, because there's so much I mean it's such a quick changing the environment the way things are done today even from a few years ago is so different jason um we we kind of skipped over um you know your uh, high school and college and things um tell us a little bit about about how you you know in in school and getting out of school and winding up where you are Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time but um give us a little bit of that that piece of jason as well Sure. Um, I was uh, mainstreamed um, in the schooling system, and I had an aide who was a wonderful woman who um, stayed with me from first grade until I graduated. Very good quality access to Braille, and um, every I think a lot of people were recognizing both the music and the technology uh, affinities that I had. And so in college, Uh, I graduated in 98, went to college. Um, I majored in management information systems, which had a lot to do with storing of information and different ways to manage information, and of course, networking for communications. And then I also took music courses as well, Mm -hmm. that being specializing in music performance. Mm -hmm. And so from there, uh, I just kind of went with it. I, I do my, my music gig, and I also uh, have a lot of fun with computers. Well, I think that's, that's of course, a really um, great combination because um, it sure doesn't leave you much time to sit around and get bored and say, oh, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do with my day today. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. What for you is sort of the big, maybe a big thing that's coming up on the ACB radio that people might want to watch for um, in, in the in the near future? Do you, uh, do you see some 
changes coming along, or um, is it going to be pretty much? Uh, is it, I mean, there's already been a lot of changes. The scheduling changes have been um, really good. Things are spread out. We're we're doing a lot with advertising right now. Uh, Debbie Hazelton's doing a pretty big project on that. So. Um, yeah. What can we look for maybe in the next month or two that you could share with us on ACB Radio? Sure. Uh, we are very excited to be bringing some new programs to ACB Radio mainstream, and they include such things as the Art Parlor from Friends in Art, which will be uh, showcasing different artists and, and interviews with them. Uh, we also have talking book topics, there's also Braille Buzz, and we have a number of other affiliates we're talking to who want to do shows. Uh, I know BPI is interested in doing a show, and um, gosh, I know there are a couple more, and I, I kind of wish mm -hmm. Debbie was here too because she would fill me in on the things that I'm missing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's all right. We'll, we'll catch Debbie and new shows and so on, but um, we, I, I think, you know, there's just so much happening. I think that Braille Buzz program, I think that's from the Braille Revival League. And, yes, mm -hmm. I believe so. And the, they so, have a Wednesday night um, conference call, too, called Braille Buzz. That happens mm -hmm. um, the third Wednesday of alternating months. It, one month it's Braille Buzz from BRL, and the next month it's Library Without Walls from uh, Library Users of America. Yes, so, and... Thank you for mentioning that because mm -hmm. that will be included as well, the, the mm -hmm. library without walls. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with us about uh, about yourself or ACB Radio and your job there? Well, sure. Um, a couple of other big things that we're excited about are the fact that uh, we are consolidating the Audio Now service, which is no, no longer called Audio Now. It's called Xeno Media. But those of you who have been calling ACB Radio over the phone, you'll know that there have been multiple numbers, numbers have changed, all this kind of thing. And what we're trying to do is consolidate both the number that provides the forum and the number that provides all the ACB Radio streams into one. Mm -hmm. And so hopefully that will be done very soon and We'll just have one number to publish, one number to worry about. And furthermore, we are establishing a new stream called Mainstream West. We're still going to use Eastern Time, but for those who live on the West Coast, you will be able to use that same time and go to Mainstream West and pick up the program. And the thing about that is that it will really open up the schedule and allow for even more new programming, should we desire. And I think we will because it's pretty exciting. So, oh, yeah. Yes. So that will be great. Okay. Well, that is going to be a, a really, really neat thing when that Mainstream West <clears throat> does um, does get up and running because yeah. um, that's, that's going to give everybody, uh, all the existing programs will... Uh, be able to to uh, benefit from that, as well as new programs coming along. Hey, Jason, thanks so much for being on Soundprints with us today, and oh, we're so pleasure. glad you're part of ACB's team and um, in there working every day to help us keep things up and running. Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure.
Page 4. The Sumprints Calendar. Remember that there are additional meetings and committee activities announced on the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. On March 13, there will be a Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout. There will be education and technology from 3.30 to 5.30, dinner 5.30 to 6.30, $6 per person, and then we'll be attending the APH Reader's Theater from 7 until 8.30. The activity is at United Crescent Hill Ministries, but plan to make your return ride from the American Printing House for the Blind. If you are attending the play with GLCB, please make your reservation with us instead of calling the Printing House. If you do not wish to attend the play, you may still come to Roundabout and make your return ride around 9 p.m. from United Crescent Hill Ministries. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On March 14, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold a board meeting at 11 a.m. by phone 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. March 15 is an ACB Families Conference call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Participate from anywhere in the country in our business meeting and planning for the activities at the ACB Convention. Call 712-432-3900 and enter code 796096. On March 16 will be a BCB Assistive Technology Seminar from 1 to 2 p.m. at their office in Lexington. The program, You Had the Intro, now join us for Narrator Part 1. BCB Community Room, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. Call 859-259-1834 for more information and to sign up. March 16 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board Meeting. 8 p.m. by phone. Dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 3572-595-193. March 18, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Conference Call Meeting. Individuals statewide experiencing low vision are encouraged to ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. A speaker or topic will be announced for this call. Telephone 669-900-6833, access 3572-595-193. March 20, Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout, Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5, Discussion Time 5 to 6, Dinner 6 to 7, and Bingo $2 per person from 7 until 9.30 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. March 22 is the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Board Meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. March 23 is Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana Membership Meeting it's at 7 p.m. by conference call. Dial 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On March 25, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a lunch and learn. 
from noon until 2 p.m. Austin Robinson presents Edge Music Therapy. Learn about the benefits of music therapy, Austin's practice of music therapy, and a demonstration of his music art. At the BCB Community Room in Lexington, call 859-259-1834 to sign up. March 26, Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision Support Group Meeting, 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. March 27 is a Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout. Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5. Tip Sheet, 5 to 5.30. Page Turners, 5.30 to 6. Dinner, 6 to 7. Games, Trivia, and Other Activities, from 7 until 9.30. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 to sign up. March 28 is a Savvy Bowling Outing. From noon to 2 p.m. Central Time at the Bowlodrome at 600 East 14th Street in Owensboro. Register by calling 270-686-8689 by noon on March 27. Savvy will pay for rental of up to two lanes. If additional lanes are needed, the cost will be divided equally among the participants. Everyone is responsible for shoe rental, snacks, etc. March 28 is the ACB Next Generation Saturday Night Live Hangout. At 8 p.m. by conference call, dial 669-900-6833. Here are a few highlights from April and beyond. April 2, the American Council of Blind Lions will hold its meeting at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the conference line at 712-432-3900. The code is 796096. April 3 will be the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind quarterly meeting at United Crescent Hill Ministries. More details coming soon. April 5 is the ACB Families Peer Support Call. 9 p.m. Eastern Time on the conference line at 712-432-3900. The code is 796096. The speaker for this meeting will be Matthew Schifrin, who is the blind student who has developed the Braille and audio instructions for various Lego sets. April 18 is a savvy bowling outing from noon to 2 p.m. Central Time at the Bolodrome in Owensboro. There will be no GLCB roundabout on April 24. On April 25, KCB will hold a crossroads conference beginning at 10 a.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. More details coming soon. On May 2, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its annual derby party beginning at 10 a.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. July 3 to July 10 will be the 59th Annual ACB Conference and Convention in Schaumburg, Illinois. And July 24 and 25 will be the 75th Annual Reunion of the Kentucky School for the Blind Alumni Association. It will be held at the Ramada Inn in Louisville. More details on all of these activities will be coming soon. 
If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio Eye at radioeye.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.